The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. It's coming closer every day, and it all centers here in the city of Jerusalem. I'm talking about the very central tenet of the Christian faith, that is the return of the Lord Jesus. Are you eagerly anticipating the second coming of Jesus, and even before that, the rapture of the true believers? The Bible offers a unique promise of a reward for believers who anticipate the Lord's appearing, the promise is a special category of crown, a wreath of victory like the garlands won at the ancient Olympic Games. The crown is mentioned by the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. He said, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, Paul said, but also to all those who love His appearing. Now that's a crown I hope to receive, because I eagerly anticipate the Lord's second coming. Sadly, shockingly to me, many believers don't seem to anticipate the Lord's second coming at all. They're so caught up with the cares of this world that they don't even want the Lord to come in their lifetime. But stay with us as we examine recent developments in light of Bible prophecy and the second coming of Jesus. Hello, I'm Christine Darg. It makes sense that we should study Bible prophecy since we're living in the very days of which so much Bible prophecy was written in advance, especially concerning the nation of Israel. Bible prophecy, I believe, was recorded to help us to keep on track concerning God's timeline. I believe Bible prophecy was also recorded to help to validate and to authenticate this Word of God. There's no other supernatural book outside of the Bible that contains so many exact prophecies about the future, many of which have already come to pass in our lifetime. Jesus, as a faithful leader of his disciples, didn't leave us in the dark concerning the last days. He said in Mark 13 and 23, Take heed, behold, I've told you everything in advance. And I like the New International Version of this verse. Jesus said, So be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. Bible scholars have a saying that Bible prophecy is history written in advance. So what things did Jesus specifically tell us about in advance so we won't be ignorant of end-time events? In this program, I want to look at five criteria that Jesus clearly warned us about so that we wouldn't be ignorant of the times in which we're living. So sign number one, Jesus gave us, in fact, a multitude of signs that would be, as he called it, the beginning of sorrows. And he said that these signs should increase like labor pains coming faster and faster together when a woman gives birth. 
He said that there would be earthquakes in frequency and intensity in various places, freak weather conditions, and there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. Certainly, we've had those lately with a blood moon tetrad. Jesus also said that on the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of tsunamis in the sea. He said men's hearts would be failing them for fear of where the world is headed, that there would be plagues and pestilences like the scary Ebola virus, diseases like polio and TB that we considered conquered are making a comeback. In sub-Sahara Africa, 23 million children are reportedly infected with the HIV AIDS virus. Ironically, just a few decades ago, scientists were speculating that advances in medicine might soon eradicate all these deadly viruses. Strange sinkholes are opening up in places all around the world. And Joel 2 and verse 30 foretold that in the last days there would be signs in the heavens and in the earth, including fire and pillars of smoke. Well, volcanic activity has been increasing at an alarming rate in frequency and intensity as formerly dormant volcanoes awaken and erupt. Our lives were disrupted not too long ago when pillars of fire, smoke, and ashes from one of Iceland's volcanoes closed airspace to commercial air traffic. But the good news is that Jesus said, when you see all these things, not to be worried, but to look up, meaning that our redemption is drawing near and his coming to collect us is imminent. The Apostle Paul also gave us warnings that in the last days, people would call good evil and evil good. He said some phenomenal words in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and in verses 1 to 5, that whole passage, he said, Know this also, that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men will be lovers of their own selves, without natural affection. I believe Paul was referring to same-sex marriages and so forth. Many Christians and church doctrines have departed from the faith and are sliding into great apostasy. There are so many lukewarm believers in the churches or professing believers who don't even go to church anymore. The wheat and the tares, so to speak, are mixed together and growing up together, singing and dancing in our assemblies and churches where there's no accountability given for sins and where repentance is not frequently required. Now, one of these signs about which Jesus warned us in advance is called the rapture of the church. He said, pray that you will be accounted worthy to escape all these things coming upon the earth and to stand before the Son of Man. Before I go any further, let's address the word rapture itself. A lot of people who think that they know it all claim that there's no such word as rapture in the New Testament. But I like the explanation of my friend Derek Prince of Blessed Memory. Derek and his wife Ruth used to be members of Christ Church, which is also my congregation in Jerusalem. 
As a Bible scholar, Derek said he found it rather naive that people say the word rapture is not in the Bible because the Bible wasn't written in English in the first place. In fact, you don't find any English words in the original Bible. It's a question of what translation is being used. Rapture, the word we're talking about, is the New Testament Greek word written in English letters as harpazo. Harpazo in Greek means to snatch, to grab, to pull up. There's no English word form from that verb, but there is a Latin verb to translate harpazo in the Vulgate translation of the Bible, and that is rapido, which means exactly the same as harpazo, to, to seize or to snatch up. And the noun or verb formed from it in the English language happens to be, surprise, surprise, rapture. So you see, in fact, Rapture is a perfectly accurate way to describe the sudden translation that both Jesus and the Apostle Paul talked about when the living will be snatched out of this world. Jesus said two women would be grinding at a mill. One would be taken and the other left. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, one of the most important chapters in the Bible, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all die, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Great men of God, such as Pastor John Hange and Dr. Chuck Missler regularly teach the doctrine of the rapture. But there's a certain prejudice in some quarters against the rapture because some people just can't bring themselves to believe that a miraculous event like that will really ever happen. But Derek Prince believed it, the Apostle Paul believed it, Jesus believed it, and I believe it. Derek Prince also mentioned that some birds of prey are called raptors. A raptor is a bird that swoops down over its prey, picks it up with its claws or its beak, and carries it off. So this is an absolutely consistent word from the same root. Derek said to say that rapture is a wrong word is to display ignorance of the original text. Jesus gave us a clear warning in advance when he said in Luke 21 and 36, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So be on your guard. And Jesus said, See, I have told you everything in advance. Well, what else did Jesus warn us about in advance? Secondly, and we must not be ignorant on this important, vital subject, Jesus told us in advance that Israel as a nation would exist again. He told us that despite the desires of the Nazis and Islamic extremists, the Jews would return home to their own land prior to his second coming to set up rule in Jerusalem. So let that be a warning to all of Israel's unreasonable enemies. This photograph was published on the website of the Israel Defense Forces. It's part of a series of photos about miraculous moments concerning the birth of the nation of Israel. 
And this handmade Israeli ink flag was raised during the War of Independence to mark the capture of Eilat in the south. On March the 10th, 1949, the Israeli Defense Forces reached the shores of the Red Sea at Biblical Eilat and captured the town without a battle. And when it was discovered that the Negev Brigade didn't have an Israeli flag on hand, a makeshift flag was created from a white sheet that the soldiers found, and they drew two ink stripes on it and sewed a Star of David torn from a first aid kit. The fact that Israel exists and now has a flag to fly is a resurrection of an ancient promise by God in our times. Israel in the Bible is likened to not only a vine, but also to an olive tree and also to a fig tree. In fact, Jesus instructed his followers to learn the parable of the fig tree. Have you learned the fig tree parables that Jesus told in the Gospels? Unfortunately, the denominational churches still have not learned these parables. First of all, Jesus told the parable of the fig tree in Luke chapter 13, starting with verse 6. He said a man went to look for fruit on his fig tree in his vineyard, but he couldn't find any fruit. He said, for three years now, I've been looking for fruit on this fig tree and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? But his gardener begged for more time and replied, leave it for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. In this parable, the owner is generally regarded as God who came seeking fruit from Israel. Scholars say the tree in this parable could have referred to the religious leadership in Jesus' day. In either case, the parable is understood to have meant that Jesus was offering his people one last chance to repent. And scholars say the three years in the parable refer to the three-year period of Jesus' ministry. The tree was eventually cut down and the Jews expelled from the land and scattered to the nations. But that doesn't mean that God is finished with Israel. By no means. Jesus gave a second fig tree parable in Luke chapter 21 in his Olivet Discourse. And starting with verse 29, he told his disciples this parable. He said, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you know summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, that is, when you see the fig tree blossom, you know that the kingdom of God is near. So learn this parable. Hallelujah. The fig tree, Israel, has blossomed again and against great odds, including the Nazi Holocaust. Now, the third warning or red alert that Jesus gave us in advance is the sign of Jerusalem itself. Jesus told his followers in advance that Jerusalem, the city of the great king, would be overrun by Gentile nations but that Jerusalem would return to Jewish sovereignty in the last days. The Bible says that in the end times, Israel will be in possession again of its capital, Jerusalem. And this happened on June the 7th, 1967, as a result of the Six-Day War. This is another photo in the Miraculous Moments series posted on the 
Israel Defense Forces website. It shows soldiers praying at the Western Wall after Jerusalem was recaptured by Jewish forces in the Six-Day War. Think about this. In Luke 21:24, Jesus predicted that Jerusalem would be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And from 70 AD until the Six-Day War in June of 1967, Jerusalem was under continuous Gentile domination, including the Romans, the Ottoman Empire, and the British. But the Bible says that in the last days, the possession of Jerusalem will belong again to the Jews. Consequently, Jewish ownership has become a major source of international conflict and diplomatic finagling. The prophet Zechariah called Jerusalem a burdensome stone and a cup of trembling for the nations. And all who will try to lift, move, or divide Jerusalem will be utterly crushed by this stone that is Jerusalem. Today, Jerusalem receives an inordinate amount of attention from diplomats. But how interesting that prior to 1948, world leaders seldom mentioned Jerusalem. After all, Jerusalem doesn't have a seaport. It's not a significant city in any way other than its spiritual significance. In Hebrew, the name Jerusalem is Yerushalayim, a plural word, meaning that there's more than one Jerusalem. There is the Jerusalem that's below and the heavenly Jerusalem that's above. There's no city like it. God's eyes are on it all the time, night and day. And he has promised to put his name here in Jerusalem forever. Isn't it interesting that now that all the world wants to interfere with Jerusalem's destiny, the devil has designs on the city. Satan has always coveted the throne of God. He desperately wants to steal Jerusalem, the capital of the Jews, away from them. Satan knows that Jewish sovereignty in Jerusalem means that his time of running this world is running short. Nations that haven't been around even half as long as the Jewish people have no business telling the Jews what to do with their capital, Jerusalem. Now, the next, the fourth sign that Jesus told us about in advance is very, very troubling to me personally because I have so many beloved Israeli friends. But it's a major warning from Jesus and tells us exactly how late the hour is. Sadly, tragically, the nation of Israel, although regathered and reconstituted back in their own land in the last days, will momentarily, but for only a short while, be deceived into receiving another false messiah. Jesus indicated that the Jewish nation will, in fact, receive the person that the New Testament calls the Antichrist, but for only for a season, that is, until the Jews are betrayed by this truce-breaker and man of sin. The politically correct leftist Israelis, desperate for peace at any price, will hail this coming world leader as some sort of political savior. Thankfully, Israel's reception of this coming false leader will not last very long. And by the way, I don't personally believe the entire nation of Israel will be duped 
into receiving the false Messiah, the Antichrist. This is because God always keeps for himself a remnant who follow the truth and refuse to be deceived. I believe the Bible indicates that a remnant will flee to Petra in what is known today as the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan. And this remnant will be kept safe by God in Petra. The Bible says in Daniel 11 and 41 that the Antichrist will invade the Holy Land, but Edom, Moab, and the leaders of Ammon will be delivered from his hand. And those areas are all located in modern-day Jordan. Unfortunately, Jesus himself predicted Israel's end-time deception in the Gospel of John, chapter 5 and verse 43, where he said to the Jews of his day, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. What was the meaning of that cryptic saying? Yeshua came not of his own accord, but he was sent by the Father, and he brought his credentials with him. Yeshua accomplished the works and miracles his Father gave him to finish. But he told his brethren, the Jews, another will come in his own name. He was speaking of false messiahs. These false Christs would rise up and would not be able to give any proof of their mission or Christ-like character. So Jesus prophesied, I have come in my Father's name, and you don't receive me. But if another comes in his own name, him you will receive. And thousands did receive, for example, Bar Kokhba, a false messiah who rose up some years later after Jesus. Bar Kokhba was even endorsed by the famous Rabbi Akiva. The Jewish people unfortunately rejected Jesus in his day because he didn't appear to set up a temporal kingdom to deliver them from Roman rule. But the Lord's first mission was to be the suffering servant to make atonement for sins. And many Jews of his day did receive him. He will come as the King of Kings on his return visit. And next time he will be received by Israel. Hallelujah. Many times in the New Testament, Jesus said he's coming back again. And if Jesus says he will return, don't you think his followers should believe him and be watching eagerly for his return? Well, what else did Jesus warn us about in advance? A fifth sign that he warned us about in advance is the worldwide anti-Semitism and hatred of Christians. We're both Jews and Christians, the people of the book. And the Lord warned Israel and his followers that we would be hated and persecuted by all nations because of him. Today, the Gaza Strip and the West Bank are partitioned off for the Palestinians, and the Golan Heights in the north are partitioned off for Syria. The nations also want to partition Jerusalem, with the Palestinians demanding East Jerusalem as their capital. Israel is surrounded by enemies. Anti-Semitism is increasing in the news. The alignment of the nations against Israel has occurred exactly as the Bible said in Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38. There has been an increase in the persecution of Jews and Christians on a daily basis. Today, Christians are being killed in Islamic nations around the world 
in an ever-increasing escalation of violence and murder. With the exception of the democratic nation of Israel, Christianity now faces extinction in some parts of the Middle East and in other places where jihadist groups throughout the Islamic world have taken it upon themselves to burn churches and to slaughter followers of the way. Jesus said, when you see these things begin to come to pass, to lift up your head and to look up because our redemption draws near. Jesus said, see, I have warned you in advance of these things, but he said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Friends, he is the world's only savior. The only question that remains is, do you know Jesus personally? And are you trusting in him for your salvation? Don't put off your decision to give your heart and life to the Lord. This week, my husband and I prayed with a grieving man whose wife was well one afternoon. Then she got sick. She was in hospital by midnight and she was pronounced dead by four in the morning. Thank God she was saved. But the Lord is moving fast these days. You never know what a day will bring and when the Lord will come. You may not have time to get ready to meet your maker, but you can do it right now by repenting of your sin and receiving the Savior eternally into your heart. Say to God, I do believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. I repent of my sins and I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And the Bible says, if you do that, you will be saved. Well, thank you for spending precious time with me. I want to remind you that our ministry has a free magazine that you can request by email or at our website, exploits.tv, where we also have news and an archive of all of our other exploits videos. And I would enjoy chatting with you on Facebook and Twitter. The name of our ministry, Exploits, is based on Daniel 11.32, which says, Those who know God will be strong and do exploits. So let's do exploits together in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. If you need salvation or deliverance, call upon his name. If you need healing, call upon his name. If you're in a family crisis, call upon the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I just have time to mention my healing book called Speak to the Mountain that will encourage your faith to know that God still heals today. It's available to order on Amazon. And so until our next time together, contending for the faith and praying for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Darg. Shalom. Since we started the Jerusalem Channel less than two years ago, the word has certainly spread far and wide. Acts 1.8 is our ministry mandate. First in Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, and on to the ends of the earth. Over the internet, we have a global audience that wants to know the word of God and to better understand in time events. As you can see from this analysis, people from many nations are joining us for these exploits programs. But each time someone views the channel, the video streaming costs are a real expense. It's much cheaper than 
satellite TV, but we still need to produce and stream these broadcasts. That's why I would urge you to help us. You can call us in the United States at our toll-free number, 888-245-2692, or in the United Kingdom at our national number, 0843-557-4077. With a credit or debit card, you can also click the Donate button on our website. Thank you for being a part of the Jerusalem Channel's mandate. As Daniel 11.32 proclaims, those who know God will be strong and do exploits. Please keep us and Exploits TV, the Jerusalem Channel, in your prayers so that we can reach the world through the Internet and by YouTube, Roku, and Google TV.